If you are joining us in the fireside room or in the venue, we're glad that you are with us here on the Modesto campus. And if you are joining us in the online campus, we're really glad to be together. We're really glad that you're with us. And I hope that for all of us, this will be a moment that we can enter in in a real personal way, a real face-to-face way with the love of God and the person of Jesus Christ. I would encourage you to take your Bibles and to turn to Mark chapter 4. We'll be looking at the end of Mark chapter 4. And uh, we're in this series, Come and See Jesus. And for this message, I'm saying, come and see Jesus in action. Come and see Jesus in action. And I've chosen this excerpt of Mark chapter 4 at the end of the, of the chapter because it's been real special to me. This passage is special to me. It is an encouragement to me. And so all of our pastors during this series, they have chosen a passage that has been very meaningful to them. And I've chosen this because it's been meaningful to me for a lot of years. All the way back into when I was in high school and Pastor Rick Countryman, who was my youth pastor, took me uh, on a, uh, an experience up in, into the states northern of here And we helped run a youth camp. And it was during that time of running that youth camp that this passage came alive to me as I heard my oldest brother sing a song about it. Sing a song about the truths that are found in this passage. And God used the song, my older brother who's four years older than me, as I heard him sing and play guitar. It cemented some truth into my heart and into my mind. And it's never left. And I'm excited to look at this together. The passage begins in verse 35 by saying, on that day, basically really bridging from what had happened previous in Mark chapter 4 to what's about to happen. And it was a day of great teaching. Jesus was teaching in amazing and fantastic ways. He was walking through some parables to the crowd that was gathered there. And some of the, pa- the parables that he had walked through are the parables of the sower, where the sower goes and sows seed on four different types of ground, and there's four different types of results. And it's an incredible parable. He, Jesus then goes on to explain the purpose of parables and why he teaches in parables, and then he goes on to actually explain the parable of the sower. In fact, we use the parable of the sower as a team in a time of prayer at five o'clock this evening to pray for you. We prayed the parable of the sower over you, over all of you who are in the fireside room, in the venue, who are with us in our online campus. Our team prayed the parable of the sower over you, and it might be exciting for you to read it later, to read what we prayed over your life today. It goes on then, Uh, to talk about a lamp under a basket and how if you're going to light a lamp, you wouldn't put it under a basket, but you'd let the light be shown. He talks about the seed growing and how it's mysterious that a seed is planted and it grows in the ground without anyone watching over it. He talks about the mustard seed and how it's such a small seed and grows into such a large plant and how faith being planted in you, faith working in you, like a small mustard seed, is going to grow and it's going to flourish. It's really quite an amazing day of teaching 
that this bridges here when it says on that day. You see, Jesus had been preparing his disciples to encounter the storm. They didn't know it was coming, but Jesus did. And Jesus was preparing his disciples to encounter the storm. And the way he was preparing them was by teaching them the truth, the truth of the kingdom of God. And when Jesus teaches you the truth of the kingdom of God, he's preparing you. He's preparing you for whatever storms are ahead. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, to his disciples, let us go across to the other side. Jesus is the leader in this moment, and he is developing a small group in a high investment way. He's spending a high investment in a small group, spending a lot of time with them, teaching them, talking with them, dialoguing with them, breaking bread with them, sharing meals with them, laughing with them, crying with them. Jesus was making an investment in this group and it was really focused. It was a focused investment. And in verse 36, it says that leaving the crowd, stepping away from all who were engaged in his amazing teaching that day, leaving the crowd, they took him with them in the boat just as he was. And then we find out that other boats were with him. You see, Jesus was a human magnet. Jesus, the person of Jesus, is a human magnet. He draws humans to himself. He has a magnetic spiritual personality and he draws people to himself. And so everywhere he goes, people are gathering. And so he needs to step away from the crowd so he can continue to make this very specific, very focused, very intentional investment in the few. Makes us consider about times that Jesus wants to draw you away from the crowd so that he can make a very specific, very focused very personal investment in each of us. It says in verse 37 that a great windstorm arose and the waves were breaking into the boat so that the boat was already filling. Just imagine this moment. You know, the wind kicks up on the sea and there's waves just moving fast and they're moving with force and the boat is rocking and the waves are coming into it on a calm day. With no wind and no waves, I can't keep water out of my canoe. I can't keep water out of my kayak. We're, me and my boys are going to sink the kayak when we go out on the boat. It's, it's a guarantee. We're going to flip it over. We're going to sink it. All our stuff's going to be in the lake. Let alone the wind kicking up and the waves kicking up and the water crashing over the sides. Wow, isn't it amazing how great challenges arise like this? They arise quickly, you know, seemingly out of nowhere. The challenges rise up in our lives, seemingly with no warning. And then what do they do? They break. They break. They break on us. They break us. They break us down. And challenges in a moment can rise up and they can be overwhelming. And that's what happens in this moment with an actual, physical, natural storm. It says, but he, Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. For all you nap takers out there, this is your verse, all right, right here. This is your verse. 
Jesus was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care? Do you not care that we are perishing? We're dying. Don't you care? This is amazing. You know, it starts off by saying, but he, but he was in the stern. I would encourage you that any time in scripture you see, but he, and the he is referring to God, but he, Jesus, but he, God, the Father, but the Holy Spirit. Anytime you see that word, but, and then God is after it, you need to take note. You need to take note. Because when but shows up in the scriptures and God follows it, it is beautiful. It is a beautiful thing. And in this moment, it says, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion and they woke him and they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? You know, it's interesting. They make two contrasting statements the disciples do in this moment. They, make two, they say two things that are opposites. The first thing they say is teacher. And the second thing they say is, do you not care? You see, they acknowledge that he is the teacher, that he is the one who is making this investment in them, that he's the one who cares about them, that he's the one who's been spending those late nights talking around the fire. They acknowledge that he's the one who has the wisdom that they need, that he's the one who's been speaking truth in their life, and at the same moment, they make a contrasting statement, do you not care? Like they completely miss what is obvious about the fact that they call him teacher. And they say, do you not care? Have you ever maybe slipped something out to God and maybe it wasn't fully what you hoped was gonna come out of your mouth? In this moment, they, they blurt out, do you not care? And in verse 39, it says, and he awoke. He awoke and he rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased and there was a great calm. And Jesus is full of action in this verse. He wakes up, he rebukes the wind, he speaks to the sea, he says, peace, be still, and creation responds to the words of Christ. And in that moment, creation bows before God Almighty, and creation calms because the creator has spoken. This is, this is amazing. Great impact happens when God begins to speak. If you open your Bible to the front of your Bible, that's the far left, there's a book called Genesis, and you'll see in there when God speaks, things happen. When God speaks, things happen. Things start taking place, and the Creator is speaking, and there's a huge impact. In verse 40, he said to them, Why are you so afraid? Why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Jesus asks great questions. Jesus asks wonderful questions. Anytime you're reading in the scriptures and you see Jesus ask a question, take note, pause for a minute, and let him ask that question to you. Let Jesus ask his questions to you. When Jesus asks a question, take a moment when you read it and say, Jesus, do you want to ask this question of me right now? Would you like to ask me a question? Because when Jesus asks questions, it is because the teacher is making a great focused personal investment in the person he is asking the question to. 
And when you take time to allow Jesus to ask you a question, you're saying, Jesus, I want the investment. I want the personal great investment, the focused investment that you want to make in me. It says in verse 41 that they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this? (laughs) That even the wind and the sea obey him. Who is this? Who, Who are we with? Clearly, we do not know. Clearly, we do not know who we are with. Clearly, who do, we do not know who is in the boat with us today. What a, what a great passage. Isn't it, isn't it awesome? See, I chose this passage for a number of reasons. One of them I already told you, because as a young boy, God cemented this passage into my heart and my mind. And in God's sovereignty, this is a passage he's wanted to encourage me with in my life. But another reason I chose this passage is because I love the ocean. I love the ocean. Some of you are beach bums, all right? I think, you know, you know, like, like when I was a kid, I prayed my parents would move to the beach, right? That, that's what I prayed when I was a kid. You know, maybe my parents would move to the beach. That'd probably be a good place for us to live. Some of you maybe love the mountains. You know, some of you maybe you love the desert. You love the valley. I love the ocean. I love seeing the ocean. I love being on a surfboard and paddling out into the waves. I love turning my surfboard and pointing it directly out to sea and to on my surfboard at Capitola Beach to worship Jesus Christ and to worship God Almighty as I just look out into the vastness of the ocean. The ocean is a great reminder to me of who the creator is and how powerful he is. The ocean's a wonderful thing, and and this story is about a sea that has waves, and because I've been thrown around by waves so much in my life, and I have scars on my rib cage to prove it where my surfboard has cut me open, I have this kind of intense relationship with the ocean. I love the ocean, but I love the God of the ocean. I love the God of the ocean, and the ocean reminds me of the God who created it. And so I'm drawn to this passage in a number of ways. I am personally inviting you in this moment right now to come and see Jesus in action. Come and see Jesus in action in this passage. Action number one is route. It is route. This is the action Jesus takes. It is about a route. Have you ever been unclear on which way to go? (laughs) Have you ever argued over directions? Have you ever had that moment with someone in the car? Oh, I can tell you, early on in our marriage, oh, maps are a curse in my marriage, all right? Maps are a curse in my marriage, and early on in our marriage, we would argue about which freeway exit to take. Oh, we'd had no clue where we were going, and we could, none of us could read a, we couldn't read a map. You know, having the map tell you where to go now, it is the best thing. It is, it is a, it's really saved a lot of marriages, I believe it. And uh, have you ever been stressed out when you missed an exit? Oh, that's the thing that just makes me lose it, is when we realize we just drove past the exit, and then guess what? Now we're on the grapevine, right? And it's like you're not going to turn around for a while, all right? You're just going to go up for 20 minutes, and then you're going to go down for 20 minutes, and then you can find another exit, right? Oh, 
Jesus gives clear direction. Jesus gives a clear route. And we see him do that in verse 35. It says, on that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd, they took them. They took him with the boat, just as he was in other boats we're with them. Jesus is the one who is the navigator in this moment, and he is charting the course, and he is giving his guys, his team, the ones he's investing in, he's giving them clear direction. And he knows what's ahead. Jesus knows full well what he has given them direction and where they're heading and what they're going to encounter. And this is the first place we see Jesus in action, and that is determining the route. And I will just ask you, are you taking a moment, are you taking moments where you're allowing Jesus to be the one to define the route for your life? Where you're allowing Jesus to be the one who's going to decide where you're going to go next? Where you're taking a moment and you're just asking, God, where would you have me go? Where would you have me be? How would you like to direct me? What's the route you would like me to take? Because possibly it's different than where I think I'm headed. Jesus has surprised my wife and I many times that he had a route that was different for us to take than we thought we were going. And I want to invite you to see Jesus in action in your own life, that you'd let him be the navigator and you'd let him take action in you and you'd let him chart a course and give you a clear route so you know where you're going. This is action number one. Jesus takes action in a route. Action number two is in rest. And it may seem like an oxymoron to say that an action is rest. But Jesus takes action in this moment, and he rests. He's had a full day of teaching. He's been teaching about the mysteries of the kingdom of God, about the beautiful things, about the kingdom of God, about the truth of the word of God, and he needs rest. His physical body needs rest, and so he takes rest, and and the storm is real. The storm that comes up in this moment, it is real, and it is threatening, and this storm, it collapses quickly, and you may feel like that right now, that there is a storm that has collapsed, and it has collapsed quickly. You know, the, the wind is violent. <laughs> you know, it's, it's physically pressing. You know, even just out riding our bikes, we know which way we're going. Are we going against the wind, or are we going with the wind? If we're going against the wind, we're pushing harder, right? Me and the kiddos, right? It's like, all right, guys, we've got to pedal a little harder, because, like, there's an invisible wall of air coming against us right now. And the wind, the wind has a force to it. And it is altering the environment in a pretty amazing way to where these waves, they're powerful. And, you know, water can rapidly destroy. You've seen it. You've seen the images of how water can, in a, in a real quick moment, water can do a lot of damage. Focused, powerful water. It can break through most things. And you think of the boat as a vessel of safety, And in this moment, their vessel of safety has been compromised. And and that's something to consider, that in moments you feel like you're in a vessel of safety in life, but it's been compromised. You feel like that vessel of safety you're in is not keeping you safe. It says, a great windstorm arose. The waves were breaking into the boat. The boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. Like everything environmentally around him is in total chaos, 
and Jesus is sleeping. This is awesome. You know, against all external experiences, you know, he's having rest in spite of total chaos all around him. I think this is something that's pretty interesting for us to take note about, especially with the chaos that's going on around us in our lives, the chaos that you're experiencing, the environmental unrest that you are experiencing. You see, one of the lies the enemy says is that you can't take a break. You can't stop. You can't rest. And yet we see right here clearly in the midst of total chaos that Jesus, he rests. He rests in this moment. Jesus is in action right now and he's providing rest in the middle of the storm. And my encouragement to you is to accept the invitation of rest that Jesus wants to give you. We're gonna talk more about this next week. I have another passage I wanna share with you that really helps us maybe understand how Jesus brings a gift of rest to us. Action number three is response. We see Jesus take action and respond in this moment. They woke him, <laughs> you know, and they have this, you know, I'm thinking if, if I'm the disciples, I, I've got great anticipation that I'm waking Jesus up right now, right? You know, what will Jesus Christ do in this moment? What's he gonna do? How's he gonna respond? But what I find is really interesting is they say something that I don't expect. They say, do you not care? And I don't expect them to say that. I expect them to say, Jesus, do a miracle. I expect them to say, Jesus, show us your power. But in their humanity, and guess what? In our humanity, we can get to a place real quick where we go, God, don't you care? God, don't you care about what's going on in my life? You know, I think our perspective, it informs our actions. And the disciples have a perspective right now that all is lost and that all is chaos. You know, it really, it's like how we believe, it directs how we behave. And they believe they're gonna die. And it directs their behavior in this moment. And so, because the disciples, they only see the storm, that's their perspective. All they see is the storm. Their belief is, we're done for. It says, they woke him, they said to him, teacher, do you not care that we're perishing? And he awoke. You know, this brings a good question. Does God hear me when I call? Does God hear me when I call out to him? When I call out to God, does he hear me? And how will he respond when I call out to him? What's the mode of response? You know, am I significant enough to have the attention of God? I don't know if you've asked those questions. I think these are valid questions to ask. And we see right here that Jesus responds to our call. And when he responds to our call, he proves that he cares for us. He proves that he indeed cares about our lives. And I would encourage you to allow Jesus to take action in your life and you'd let him respond to your call. You'd let him respond to you and prove how caring of a teacher he is. Action number four is rebuke. It says that he rebukes. You know, God's a God of order. And in this moment, God decides to change the order of the weather. And he actually commands calm. Think about that. God commands calm. Who else do you know that commands calm? Usually commands are something other than calm. 
And in this moment, God commands calm. Jesus doesn't yell at his disciples. He doesn't rebuke them. He isn't mad at them in this moment for waking them up. You know, there's issues that arise in the middle of the night. If you've got kids or there are kids in your home, issues arise in the middle of the night. And I can't tell you how many times, you know, issues have arisen in the middle of the night in my home and nobody's sleeping anymore, right? <laughs> We're not sleeping anymore because there's a problem and it needs attention. When we wake God up in the middle of the night, he's not mad at us. When we wake God up in the middle of the night, he wasn't sleeping to begin with. <laughs> he was there and he was ready. And we can come to him at any time. And in this moment, they actually physically wake God up. And God doesn't get mad at him. He's not frustrated at him that they woke him up when he was trying to get some sleep. He shows them how much he cares by commanding a calm. You know, I, I, so many verses in the Psalms over the last few weeks have come to my attention. So many places that the Psalms talk about how God commands nature, how he commands the trees, the water, the rocks, how he commands his creation. I would encourage you to enjoy the Psalms and see how God commands his creation. In this moment, he commands peace, be still, and we see creation obey. Now, this is the peace that has stuck with me since I was a high school student. In the song that my brother sang, there was a line in the song that said, sometimes he calms the storm and sometimes he calms his child. Sometimes he calms the storm, and other times he calms his child. And the voice of my brother has been in my heart with those lyrics for my whole life, since I was very young. That there are moments that God is going to command the storm to be calm. But there are other moments he's just going to command me to be calm in the storm. And I want to encourage you that rebuke can be very loving in this moment if you would allow God to command you to be calm in the midst of the storm that you're in. Sometimes he calms the storm and other times he calms his child. And Jesus is taking action. And he's commanding a calm within us. Action number five is review. And this is where we'll end together today, is looking at a moment of review. In fact, after we look at this, we're going to sing about what we learn in the review. You see, it's like an after-action review that Jesus takes in this moment. It's, it's really an evaluation of the situation. And Jesus asks hard questions. The questions Jesus asks, they penetrate deep into our heart. They, they, they really kind of pierce our soul. They come right to the point and the issue at hand. And this is a teaching moment because Jesus really, really cares about his disciples. And so after the moment is passed, he takes time to review with them what is happening 
You know, in this moment, the disciples could feel like a failure because, you know, they didn't ask Jesus to calm the storm. They said, hey, do you not care? But Jesus doesn't come at them in this moment, in this moment of review and say, you're a failure. He does something quite different. And he says, yeah, you've had a lot of fear and I want to point you to faith. I want to, paint, I want to point you to faith in this moment. He says, he said to them, why are you so afraid? You got to hear the love of God in this question. Why are you so afraid? Child, why are you so afraid? Have you still no faith? Has faith not set in yet? Have the seeds from the sower not taken root yet? He says, have you still no faith? It says they were filled with great fear and they said to one another, who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? Question one, why are you so afraid? It exposes this increase in fear that they have. Jesus asks, why are you so afraid? I just want to encourage you, will you allow him to ask you that question? Why are you so afraid? What's the place that you're afraid in? Where's that place of fear? Would you allow Jesus to ask you, why are you so afraid? And would you, would you hear the tone of a loving God as he asks? Why are you so afraid? The second question, it exposes a delay in faith. He says, well, have you still no faith? Has faith not set in yet? Has faith not taken root yet? And I want you to hear the love of God as he asked that question, and is there a place that you're struggling in faith? Is there a place where you're struggling with faith right now, and would you allow God to ask you a question in love? Have you still no faith? Has, that, has faith not set in yet? Has faith not set in yet? Because it's an invitation that he's extending in his questions. All of his questions are invitations. They're invitations for us to come to a deeper understanding of who God is, and for us to have a deeper experience of the presence of God in our lives. And so Jesus reviews, he reviews with us. And I just encourage you, would you allow Jesus to review with you a question that they ask? This isn't what Jesus asked, but the disciples ask a question. This question is incredibly revealing. They say, who then is this? Who is in the boat with us? Who is this? Did you see that? The wind and the waves just obeyed him. Who are we with? Their minds are blown as they see creation commanded to a calm. And Jesus takes a moment to review with them. And in that moment of review, they ask a question. Who are we with? Who are we with? And I want to ask you, who are you with? Who is in your boat with you? Have you considered that? Who's in your boat with you? Who is it? Who is right there with you in your boat? You see, Jesus takes action in this moment. He patiently reviews what has taken place and he does this with so much love. We're gonna take a moment, we're gonna sing. We're gonna sing to God in worship. And as we sing, this song is going to review for us who is in the boat with us. And as we sing, may you be reminded of who, who Jesus is. This one that is in the boat with you.